Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, church. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you're joining us too. Uh, what's the tiredest you've ever been? Curious. Yeah, yeah. All of us have been there, right? I remember uh, growing up, one of my family's like normal spots to go to eat was Banditos on Winchester Road, south side of Fort Wayne. Amen. Hallelujah. Right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, their, their salsa is the best, by the way, if you were wondering. Um, the hot salsa, the hot, hot stuff. Anyway, we'll go on. So I remember we were, uh, it was me, my younger brother, Derek, he's five years younger than me, my mom, my stepdad at the time, Woody, and uh, then we had some family friends with us as well. And so we were enjoying this evening of dinner, and uh, you know, when we get friends together and we're at the dinner, t- or, you know, at the restaurant, we like to, we like to chop it up and talk and all that. And I was still a kid at the time, and so that means my five years younger brother was a lot, you know, he was, he was a kid. And... Remember, um, as the night wore on, I guess we were just there for a while, and all of a sudden, uh, everyone started to notice what was happening with him, because he was starting to be turned into a bobblehead. You've ever, you've seen that as a kid, like you've seen kids do this, right? He was doing one of these, you know, as, as soon as he got down, he would realize, and then he would jump back awake for about a half second. And uh, stepdad Woody, he said, "Hey, Derek, are you are you tired? No, you know." And and so he would just keep doing that. It was hilarious. And you know, probably all of us have seen people who are that tired, or we've been people who are that tired. And you know, we we get to a point where we just like can't keep our head up. And all of us have stuff, right? We get busy lives. We've got a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of responsibilities to have. There's a lot of schoolwork to do. There's a lot of stuff to do in life and it can make us tired. But I think that, that right now in our day and time, a lot of us, um, we're, we're, we might be physically tired, but I think a lot of us are dealing with soul fatigue, soul fatigue. We're like, we're so tired that it doesn't matter how much sleep we get, we never feel like we get over the hump. We're so tired that we can't even, we don't even know what to do about it. And it's, it doesn't matter how much sleep we get, it doesn't matter how much rest we get, it doesn't matter how much, like, time just chilling that we get, because it just doesn't seem to solve it. You know, soul fatigue. I was thinking about this and like, what, what does it mean to have soul fatigue? Cause I think a lot of us would probably resonate with the idea, but we just would have a struggle with coming up with language to describe what it means to have your soul be tired. Um, so I, I thought about maybe some signs of soul fatigue. Maybe some of these resonate. Maybe it's, it's when you're tired and you don't know why because you get the rest. And like I've said, like you just doesn't solve it. You're tired and you don't know, know why, or you're tired and, and you know why, you know what's causing the fatigue, and you see no end in sight from the fatigue that can make your soul grow weary. Uh, maybe it's because you're burdened by the world, like you continue to see what's happening in the world, and you see the news headlines, and you see what's going on, uh, maybe with extended family or in our community or whatever, and you just feel burdened. It's when we are angry at the evil that's out there and the at the evil that's in here. 
what is soul fatigue? It's, it's when you are fearful of the next crisis, whether it be personal or societal, that can cause some soul fatigue. It's when you sense that something's off, but you just can't pinpoint it. Like just something feels off inside of you and you just can't put your finger on it. It's when you feel numb, like some of us have been so tired and so drained and and we've gotten to a point where we just don't feel anything anymore. We just are maintaining an even keel and we just don't feel stuff. When you feel numb, it's like you have little highs, you have little lows, you're just kind of right there and the things that used to affect you, they don't affect you anymore. Um, The things that, like when you got excited about something new, you just don't get excited about it anymore. It's when you get to a point where you feel like you're just existing because you really don't know what else to do. It's when you find yourself trying to cope with what is in front of you and you you just go to wrong things to do it. You numb the pain, you run from the pain, you try to drown the pain and some of us have gotten so tired and so fatigued and so numb that You've gotten to a point where we just want to feel something. So some people inflict pain on themselves just because they want to feel something because they've gotten so numb. Uh, That soul fatigue is when pleasure loses its luster. The things that you used to enjoy, you don't enjoy anymore. The things you hoped for, you don't hope for anymore. The things that, that used to bother you, they don't even bother you anymore because you just too tired. Maybe some of you resonate with that. And I believe Jesus has something for you today because we've all been there. And there are probably uh, people in this room, right, with us and with us on online. That is what we feel right now. Like that is like, yes, I understand what soul fatigue is because I'm experiencing it right now. When you get to a point where you just don't know what to do and and like you kind of dread times like this where you're going to be around people because they might ask you how you're doing and you're so tired that you don't even feel like you have the, uh, the, the strength and the endurance to even explain how you actually are because then they'll ask questions and you got to explain yourself and it's just exhausting even thinking about Jesus understands. Jesus understands and he has some things to say to us if you're feeling that right now or if you at some point will. I'm sure all of us have been there. So if you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 11. And here's the question I think Jesus is going to ask each and every one of us today. And um, it's a question he actually wants us to consider. And so I'd encourage you to consider this in our time together. It's this question that maybe some of you, many of you probably have never had anyone ask you this question. But I just want you to picture Jesus coming uh, coming before you and saying, hey, and he uses your name. Hey, how's your soul really? How's your soul really? Like like cut through the fluff, no, no surface level. How's your soul really? I think that's what he's asking us today. Matthew chapter 11 is uh, where we're going to be starting in verse 16. Uh, this is Jesus continuing to speak to John's disciples and to the crowd that he's teaching. He says this, to what should I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to other children, Hey, hey, we played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, 
a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Then he proceeded to denounce the towns where most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No. You will go down to Hades, for if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have, been, it would have remained until today. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. So there's a lot there, but just to keep us back into this place, right? So Jesus has been uh, proclaiming the good news. He had been telling the, the disciples, his apostles, hey, this is what I want you to go and do. You're going to preach the good news of the kingdom of God to these uh, towns around you. I want you to preach. I want you to teach. I want you to heal people of, of like leprosy and disease. I want you to raise people from the dead. And I want you to cast out demons because I'm sending you out to be my soldiers to push up against the kingdom of this dark world with the kingdom of God. That's what I want you to go and do. So he gave them the pregame speech and then he sent them out. And then we see, as we talked about last week, Jesus immediately left there and then he kept on working. He sent them to work and then he kept on working because God is always working. Jesus went ahead and continued to preach. And then John, John the Baptist, who had been the precursor to Jesus, was the one that the the scriptures said was going to be the Elijah who was going to clear the way for the Messiah. John the Baptist, who was that weird guy in the wilderness who was preaching uh, this message of repentance, calling people to repent and be baptized. And uh, he was the guy who was, you know, like you wouldn't bring him to Olive Garden with you because he he would bring his sack lunch of bugs and he'd ask, hey, you got some honey back there that I can use? And you just wouldn't take him out. You know, you wouldn't invite him to dinner because dude's weird. Okay. And and so John is the the one who's like preaching and then Jesus is kind of like having this moment and John had his disciples go to him and, and ask him, hey, Jesus, like I'm in prison. Are, are you the Messiah or we should we be looking for somebody else? So John goes from this bold guy who's proclaiming Jesus to this discouraged person who is just kind of questioning whether or not Jesus is who he said he was. And Jesus, as we talked about last week, points him to things to for reasons why he himself is the Messiah. And then now Jesus kind of almost has one of these reflective step-back moments where he's thinking about the world in which he is living, this community in which he is presiding in and trying to minister to. And he has one of those moments that probably all of us have, and and he's just kind of like, man, (laughs) what do we have to do? What do we have to do to reach these people? I mean, think about this. Jesus is going around preaching to people who he created. These weren't people who were strangers to Jesus. Jesus never met a stranger. He made every single person. So like he knew them before they were in their mother's womb. He knitted them together in their mother's womb. Jesus knew these people in whom he was calling to repent and calling to come to him and follow him. And yet they weren't. They called John uh, demon possessed. And Jesus is like, man, all right, John and I are very different. Uh, like he came eating bugs and, and living in the wilderness, doing like crazy stuff. 
calling people to repentance. And then I came and Jesus would be the guy. You would be like, hey, you want to come to Olive Garden together? You know, you want to go to out for a meal? Because Jesus would be like, have a regular meal. He would just have a meal. You wouldn't be like, man, he's weird. No, he'd, he'd be like the guy you want to hang out with. He'd probably even order some wine. By the way, Jesus' first miracle in the scriptures is him turning water into what? Not grape juice, right? But to some wine. And so, like, he would, obviously he wouldn't go into being drunk, drunk. He wouldn't do drunkenness, but he, he would be okay. Like, he would be fine, sure. Like, let's go out to eat. And, and so Jesus would be like, but then people called him. So they called John demon possessed. He came at this way. Jesus came this way, call him a drunkard and a glutton. Even though he's just like a regular guy, you know, having regular meals with people and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He was right, hanging around the people he wasn't supposed to hang out with as a, as a religious leader. And so Jesus is like having this moment where he's reflecting on who he is ministering to. And he just kind of seems to get a little bit tired and frustrated, honestly. Like probably how, how some of us have been with people maybe you've been around. He's like, man, what, what do you got to do to get through to them? And they just don't get it. And Jesus is like, man, if, if I would have done these miracles in these other towns, they would have responded. See, the issue with what Jesus was having an issue with these Israelite Galilean cities was that they, they, they would come to see Jesus. They would come to watch him. And yet they, that's all they did. They just watched him and left. They didn't follow him and trust him. Jesus was calling them to surrender, but they wouldn't. He, he uses this word repent. Repentance. They, they weren't, they weren't willing to repent. And that's a biblical word that, that means like sometimes we don't define it very well. And so like, let me give you the definition of repentance. This is Jesus' issue with these people is that they heard what he had to say, but they didn't do what he said. So repentance is this idea when you're heading one direction and you have, you have this thought about this thing, whatever it is, a repent, repenting is changing your mind about a thing and then a change of direction that, that comes from that change of mind. So, so like a, a very practical way of repenting is like when, when, when I was early on pursuing Jesus, repentance was me going this one direction uh, where I was following after my own will, my own desire, my own path. And repentance was when I changed my mind about my actions and my direction and I decided to follow after Jesus. Was I perfect? No. Am I still learning? Yes. But repentance is that moment in which you say, okay, I'm, I'm not going to keep going down this path. I'm going to go down this path. Uh, repentance is that beautiful thing as parents when your kids decide to stop what they're doing and make the right choice. Amen. Hallelujah. That is good. That's a good moment, right? And, and so that's what repentance is, is changing your mind and going down the right path. And so these people, they were willing to listen to Jesus and watch Jesus, but they weren't willing to follow him. And that is what his issue was. I think what they were dealing with was, was probably a level of soul fatigue. Like, think about it like this. Um, anybody ever worked at a bank before? Okay. I have. All right, cool, cool, cool. We can talk about it, you know, talk shop later. Yeah, back in the day. Uh, so I, I, when I was a, a teller, I, I got to be a vault teller. <laughs> you know? Vault teller. Big man on campus. You know what I'm saying? Lots of responsibility. Okay? So when I was a vault teller um, at U.S. Bank in Madeira in Cincinnati, um, I got to, like, I had to know the, in order to open the safe, right? Because the safe has a bunch of stuff in it. That is important. In order to open the safe, I had to have what? 
the, the code, the combination, right? So the thing is with the safe is like it's, it's you got to know the, co- the combination and you got to know the sequence of like how many turns, which way and what way and like all that. You know, slide to the left, crisscross, you know, all that. And, <laughs> uh, and, and then it also was on a timer so you couldn't unlock the safe except for certain periods of, of certain days. So that, you know, somebody comes in after hours trying to, you know, see what's in there, they can't get in, right? Or at least that's the theory. And so I remember getting it open, and when I first got that safe opened, when I was training, like, it felt glorious, because I'm like, yes, because it's hard. Um, and so, but the thing is, like, I never played offensive line in football, but I felt like an offensive lineman when I had to open up the safe. Because if you've ever dealt with a safe at a bank, like, the wall, the door, is like this thick. And it's metal. Like, it's that thick, right? And so you got to pull it, but then you got to not pull it so hard, because then it will... It will like pancake you because it's got some momentum, right? It's so heavy. And so you got to pull it. It's a strategy, right? There's a whole like footwork technique. You got to pull it and then you got to kind of guide it and then stop it. And, uh, you know, just don't do that at home unless you have a safe. But anyway, um, why do I bring that up, Brandon? Okay. Well, I'm glad you asked. Thank you for that. So I can explain. So what I think was happening with these, these Galilean cities in Israel was that they were suffering from having hard hearts. And I think a hard heart is very well illustrated with the idea that it's like when you have a safe for your emotions and your thought processes and you keep it shut. That's what a hard heart is. It's like nothing comes in, no one comes in, and nothing goes out because you've gotten to a point where maybe, you know, for some of us, maybe because you've been so tired for so long that you've gotten to be numb, or maybe you you opened your heart to somebody and they squashed it, and you're just like, I just can't handle that again. So, So these people were not letting Jesus into the safe where their emotions and their thought processes were. They were ready for a show, but they weren't ready for a change. And so Jesus is inviting them to to come to him, but they weren't willing to come because they had their safe locked up. Let me ask you this: if if the if you if you had, your heart was a safe, how many people know the combination? How many people know the combination to the safe that inside of that is your heart? Uh, maybe a few. Uh, but, but when we get tired, the number of people who have that combination, it dwindles. And some of us have probably gotten to a point where at times, maybe even now, that, that God isn't even allowed to have the combination to that safe. Or maybe some of us, like the question for us is, do you even have the combination anymore? Because maybe you've gotten so tired and so frustrated with the world and with, with your life and you just gotten to a point where you, you're not really ready to open up to anyone, especially yourself. Because you don't trust anybody. And, and I think that's what like having a hard heart is. When you, are, when you come to church and you remain unchanged. When you, when you show up week after week and you listen and you watch, but you don't go and do anything about what God has said. When you read the scriptures and you don't do what it says. That's what James cautions us with like, be doers of the word, not just hearers only. And, and Jesus is calling out these Galilean cities that, that should have, like, they, many of them would have been saying, like, if they were asked, yes, I worship God. Yes, I believe in God. Yes, I follow Yahweh. And yet God came into the flesh right before them and they didn't say yes to him. 
And so Jesus gets frustrated and he even says like, hey, if there were people in Tyre and Sidon, which are Phoenician cities, they were Gentile cities, they were not Israelites. He says, if I would have done these miracles there, they would have repented. They would have, they would have followed me. If I did this in Sodom, which if any of you are like, remember your Old Testament, like Sodom was this place that God destroyed it because of their wickedness with fire from heaven. This was a wicked place. Tyre and Sidon were, were preached against by the Old Testament prophets because of their wickedness and Baal worship. They, these were, these were cities full of wickedness. And Jesus says, if I would have done these miracles there, they would have repented, but you, for some reason, don't. And so like it brings up a lot of like really interesting theological things. Like first of all, God knows what you might do if you were presented with some kind of situation. Even if you never were. He knows how you would respond. He knows what would happen. Also, uh, Jesus is calling out this, this pattern that, that seems to be present in the New Testament and the Old Testament that when people experience revelation from God, It's easy when you experience revelation after revelation, you experience God's presence. It's easy to become someone who grows a little bit apathetic toward God. And and I just have to like bring it back to here. We live in Bluffton, Indiana, in Wells County. We live in the United States of America. There are plenty of churches all across our community. You and I have extreme access to church. We have extreme access to the word of God. And, and the, the risk is us getting used to that and not going to Jesus for everything in our lives. Like, yep, I already heard that. Yep, I already know that. Yeah, I know I'm supposed to pray, but you don't pray. Yeah, I know I should read the Bible. I don't read the Bible. I know I, know I should serve, but I don't serve. It's like getting to where you're familiar, but you're not actually following Jesus. That's a dangerous place to be. And Jesus says, like, there will be judgment for that. So in a place like we live, I would just encourage all of us to say, like, hey, there is this space where we need to go to Jesus and always remember that he calls us to follow him, not just hear him. Not just come watch him, like, watch him work, but actually join the work. With them. And this is actually what he says to them because he's frustrated with these people who aren't responding, but he actually invites those who are in front of him to respond and to follow him and come to him. And he gives specific instructions for who he's inviting. Matthew 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. And so watch this, what Jesus, he's saying all this, like I'm glad that you, you kept this from like people who just didn't feel like they actually needed me, but I'm really glad because I get to invite these kinds of people. This is a familiar verse and series of verses, but just hear this with fresh ears. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you, what's that word, church? Rest. Rest. I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your, what's that word, for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Y'all, the 
the challenge for us as people who profess Jesus or maybe are considering us turning to Jesus in faith is who do we run to when life happens? When you're burdened and weary, who do you turn to? Because a lot of us, we learn coping mechanisms that we just kind of adopted. Either we caught them or we were taught them by, by other people or we just kind of clung to them because we tried it and that's just all we know. So like sometimes like when, when we're struggling, we try to cope by numbing the pain, by distracting ourselves with all kinds of uh, just things that just help us avoid the pain that's inside of us. Some of us, we, we numb the pain by, by drowning it with alcohol or, or we drown it with, with pills or drugs and, 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 or, or maybe with just like some, some things that are more accepted. We just kind of, we, we just throw ourselves into work because that's kind of like one thing that we just, we know we can do that. And so we just try to avoid the pain by doing that or we run from the pain or we just try to ignore it. We stuff it and then it comes out at our family and our loved ones and our friends and, and it gets to where we get to a point in our lives where we look at ourselves in the mirror and we're like, what are we doing? Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Y'all, there's only one place and one person who promises that you can find rest for your soul. And the only person, the only place is in the presence of Jesus. He's the only one who, who promises that you can find rest for your soul. And how many of us have had some weary souls? I mean, I was sharing this with our community group this past week that, you know, I wish I were quicker to go to Jesus when I had something frustrating happen or sad happen in my life. I wish I, like, yeah, I'm the preacher, I'm the pastor, I'm the one who's supposed to teach from the scriptures. But even so, like, I have a tendency to sulk in it. I have a tendency to get frustrated. I have a tendency to, like, okay, here's the, here's the problem. All right. Let me draw out my plan. Let me, here's, here's what I gotta do. Here's what I gotta strive harder. I gotta strive harder. I gotta keep on going. And I wish I was quicker to be like, and when I get to that moment, like, oh, Brandon, hey, maybe, you know, maybe you should pray. You know? Like, maybe you should practice what you preach, dude. Right? Like, maybe you should run to Jesus because he's the one who can actually provide you rest for your soul. Stop trying to figure it all out on your own. Go to him. And, and like, I just have to, like, probably all of us probably resonate with that. I, hopefully I'm not the only one, but I guess if I'm not the only, if I am the only one, then all y'all are doing great. Y'all should be up here. Right? Sharing with me. Like, because... But that's the thing, like Jesus doesn't expect you to be perfect, but he does invite you when you are at your wit's end, when you are beyond your own abilities and you are beyond your own self to run to him. And, and he says, like, you'll find rest for your soul. And man, don't we need that in our day? And he uses this illustration that kind of gets lost on us. Um, he says, take up my yoke, take up my yoke upon you. And it kind of just, we get, we get lost on what that is. So I figured I'd draw you a picture of what that is. So I was just thinking, like, how can I describe what a yoke is to the church? Let me just get out my pen and paper and I'll draw it for you. You don't believe that I drew it, huh? I didn't. <laughs> I Googled it and somebody else did it. But anyway, it still provides an illustration. So, all right, what's a yoke? 
Not woke, yoke. Okay, some of you. <laughs> okay. That was a bad joke. Uh, I use it. Anyway, yoke. That was a bad yoke. So a yoke was from an agrarian society. Back then, they had an agrarian society. You know, they went to work in the fields. And they didn't have tractor. They didn't think your tractor was sexy. thought your yoke was sexy. <laughs> Sorry. I, I tried that first service and, and I got enough laughs. I thought I'd give it a try again. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, uh, so a yoke is, is this thing, you put the ox, the oxen, because it's two, the oxen in this thing, and it, it brings them together so that they can pull the thing to do the work. I'm not a farmer, I don't p- pretend to be, but this is what they did, right? So they put them together so that they could work together, because two is stronger than one, right? And so they, they put them together, and here's what they would do. They would have one mature ox paired with a younger ox. Because the mature one, he'd been around the block a few times, and he knew what to do. So put him in there, and, and he would basically, essentially, teach the younger ox how to do the thing. You know, how to be the ox for the, for the farmer. And so Jesus, when he's encouraging them to come to him and take up his yoke upon us, then what he's inviting us to is like, hey, I know you've been trying to do this on your own for so long. I know you've been trying to pull the weight of your own life for so long. Why don't you come and join me? And I'll be in this because I'm always working. You can join me in the plotting that is called life. And I'll provide the strength that you need. Because my yoke is, is light. My burden is light. Why? Because he's strong. Because he's stronger. And he's the much more mature one. He's going to show us what it means to trust in God when when we don't know where to go because he always knows where to go. And so Jesus invites us to to take up the yoke that is his and walk with him through life. That that He's going to do much of the work, but he invites us to do some of the work too. So the question that I have for you is, is, are you suffering from soul fatigue? How's your soul really? How's your soul? Because probably a lot of us, we've got some of the signs of soul fatigue. We're tired, and we don't know why. Or some of us, we're tired, we know exactly why, but we don't see any relief in sight, that it doesn't seem to be coming for us. And so we are tired, and we don't know where to get the relief. Or maybe we feel burdened by the world, by all of the things that are going on, or we're angry at the evil that's out there, and the angry at the evil that's inside of us. Or we're fearful of the next crisis, whether that be societal or personal. We, we kind of just feel like we're just waiting for the next shoe to drop, right? We just feel like we're waiting for something next to happen. Or some of us, we sense that something's off, but we're really not sure why or what it is. Some of us have been feeling numb, like we just, we got little highs, little lows. We're just maintaining an even keel, but it's not a healthy one. That, that good things have little effect on us. Bad things have little effect on us. There's just not a lot going on. Some of us, we feel like we're just existing. What, like what else is there to do? I don't know. I'm just getting through the day. It's the same stuff, different day. Just living for Friday, dreading Monday, and just wishing we could experience something different. We've got nothing to look forward to. That's a sign of soul fatigue because there's always something you can look forward to. Uh, you're trying to cope and you find yourself trying to numb the pain, running from the, pr- running from the pain, drowning the pain. Or you're just desperate for something so you can feel something, so you inflict pain on yourself. 
Maybe pleasure has lost its luster. The things that you used to enjoy, you don't enjoy them anymore. The things you used to look forward to, you don't look forward to them anymore. And, and Jesus is saying, hey, if that is you, then come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. But not just any kind of rest. We're not going to just take a nap. I'm going to give you rest for your soul. What I want you to remember, friends, is that repentance is the prerequisite for finding rest for your soul. Repentance is the prerequisite for finding rest for your soul. Because it is in repentance that you go from going your own way to going to Jesus. Repentance is that change of direction where you, you're going this way, you're trying to figure it out yourself. Repentance is that thing that we respond to Jesus with for the first time. And it's also the thing we respond to Jesus with every single day as a follower of Jesus when we realize we're trying to do it on our own and we're not running to him. Repentance is the invitation that Jesus gives us to come to him. Repentance is the result of actually going to him with what is ailing us and what is frustrating us. And so I, this is what Jesus did. This is why we can run to him is because he came to seek and to save the lost. He was not interested in seeking and saving those who didn't think that they were lost and didn't think they had a need. That's why he says like, hey, it's going to be worse for you than for Tyre and Sidon because you, you, you know your need for God and you rejected him. And so Jesus came so that he could bear on the cross all of our sin, all of our debt, all of our shame, so that we could then be loosened of the shackles to sin and death and the evil one so that we could live a life free from that. A life where the the burden is easy because we've got Jesus in the yoke with us. That Jesus is walking with us. He's leading us beside quiet waters. He's making us lie down in green pastures. And he's walking with us through the valley of the shadow of death. And through that journey, we get to fear no evil because we recognize who's with us. Jesus offers us abundant life now, not just in the future. And the way that is accessed is through repenting and turning to him. So if you find yourself weary and heavy burdened, Y'all, we got to run to Jesus, and I'm preaching this message just as much to me as I am to you. we gotta run to, We got to get that to be our default, to where we just run to him and, and recognize that he'll take on the burden that we're bearing. And so we got to be willing to hand it to us. Give him the combination to the safe that is your heart. Let him in. Let him in. Because that's what he came to do. He's sitting on the throne, and he's inviting us to come. Uh, the song we're about to sing here in a minute is, Oh, come to the altar. And I think the lyrics really drive home what Jesus is saying. It says, Are you hurting and broken within? Are you overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. And the altar is where Jesus is. Go to Jesus. The Father's arms are open wide. That because of what Jesus did on the cross, it has allowed you to be adopted by the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, our heavenly Father. 
His arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That is the invitation that you and I have today and that you and I have every day. That when we find ourselves running to something else or to someone else to cope with the difficulties of life or to find rest for our soul, repentance is the prerequisite for finding rest for our souls. It's that thing when we, when we find out, we remember, okay, yeah, I should go to Jesus about this. Go to Jesus about it. Go to Jesus about it. So Jesus is inviting you to surrender to him for the first time or the thousandth time or the millionth time to just bring him your soul, to open up your heart and say, here I am, Lord. I know that I am in good hands with you. And you just lay yourselves down at his feet and he'll pick you up and carry you where you need to go. It's okay to admit when you're tired, especially when it's your soul that is fatigued. Don't run from him, run to him. So as I pray, I'm going to ask you to stand. As I pray, I just want to encourage you to spend some time praying yourself and then sing this song together with your church family, with your whole heart, with your whole mind, with your whole soul. Let's stand. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you uh, for loving us way more than any of us deserve. There's been so many times when we've tried to run to something else to find relief from the struggles of this world. We need to be reminded that you are on the throne. But you're not just on the throne. You're, you're down here in the muck and mire with us and you're, you're encouraging us to go to you and walk with you and journey with you. Holy Spirit, would you please have your way in each and every one of us. Give us... Give us the courage to take steps toward you. Remind us that no matter what we go through in this life, we're not doing it alone. And when we find ourselves being weary and burdened, God, help us to run to you because you're the only one who promises us to find rest in you. Like you're you're the only source of rest that we can find for our soul. Please hear us as we sing our hearts out to you in surrender and in authenticity because we need you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.